Merry Christmas, Calvary Bible Church. I want to invite all of the kids, if you're kind of elementary uh, school age and below, I want to invite the kids up, and we're going to read the Christmas story together. It's something we do, uh, we try to do every year. And so if the kids, I, I want some brave kids to kind of lead the way and come up. And uh, parents, you're welcome to come and, uh, and need actually at least a few of you to come and sit on the front row just uh, uh, to kind of make sure the kids don't get too near the stage. But kids, come on up, and we're going to read the Christmas story together. So we're just going to we're going to sit crisscross applesauce around, get in nice and close. <laughs> it's sweet. Wow, these are some amazing boys and girls. I am so so happy to share Christmas with you. Love all the kids in their Christmas outfits. And you kids are so very important to this church. Do you guys know that? That, that this church, we love you, and you're not just a kid in this church. You're a part of this church, and it's really important that you know how much we care about you. All right, well, so we're going to all sit crisscross applesauce. We're going to kind of keep our hands in our laps, and we're going to read the Christmas story. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you uh, are going are to get a chance to read, either already had a chance or are going to get a chance to read the Christmas story with your parents? A lot, a lot of you? All right, good. So, but we're going to read it again, and I want you to listen carefully to what the Word of God says about the birth of Jesus. This is from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called, who can guess, what, what city did they go to? Who knows? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, very good. To the city of Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, who can tell me, what's a manger? Anyone know what a manger is? What? The place That's right. That's the place that animals eat out of. It's a a trough where they would put the animal food and the cows and the oxen and the donkeys would eat their food out of it. And because there was no room for them in the inn and they didn't have a cradle or a bed for baby Jesus, Mary had to probably clean out that feeding trough and maybe put some hay in there and make a bed for baby Jesus. Verse 8 says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Wouldn't, you be, wouldn't it be shocking if you were just in a field and all of a sudden an angel just appears out of nowhere? Yeah. So at first, they were frightened, but listen to what the angel says. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you know what my favorite phrase in that verse is? 
the angel says that a savior has been born for you not just for somewhere people out there but for you and 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 you each and every one of you a savior was born for you and the savior is who Christ the Lord all right the angel said this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased when the angel had gone away from them into heaven the shepherds began saying to one another let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger I love that the shepherds as soon as they heard the good news they're like we want to see Jesus and so they came in a hurry to come see the baby Jesus when they had seen this they made known the statement which had been told them about this child so they began telling everybody the good news about Jesus and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds but Mary treasured all these things pondering them in their in her heart the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard just as had been told them by the angel you know what we did this morning what we just were doing and what we're going to continue to do as we hear the word of God we're doing the same thing that those shepherds did they were glorifying and praising God and that's what we're here to do this morning do you know what my Christmas wish is for each and every one of you my Christmas wish is that your heart will love Jesus and you will glorify him and praise him and live for him. That's my Christmas wish for you. Can I pray for you? All right, let's fold our hands, close our eyes, bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful uh, that as Dan read at the beginning of the service that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, it is my prayer that each one of these little boys and, and little girls, as they grow up and as they hear your word, the good news of what you did for us, that they would believe in Jesus. You came to our world. This is a hard world, a world full of sin and sorrows and suffering. But Lord, you loved us enough to come to our world and to live with us, to show us the way. And Lord, you lived a perfect life. We don't live a perfect life. I have sinned, I've done things wrong. I know that these uh, little boys and girls, even in their young age, have done things that are wrong. But Lord, you didn't do anything wrong. You lived a perfect life. But then you did something amazing. You took our sins and the penalty for our sins on yourself and you died on the cross to pay for my sins and for the sins of these boys and girls who are here with me today then lord you didn't you weren't defeated by death you rose from the dead and you defeated sin and you defeated death and you opened a way for eternal life for us and you have said that everyone who repents of their sins and believes in you will have everlasting life Lord, that is such good news. And I pray that each one of these little boys and girls, as well as all of the adults who are also listening, would receive the greatest gift that was ever given, the gift 
of Jesus Christ. And we give you glory and honor like those shepherds did in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, boys and girls, you guys were incredible. You listened so attentively. So would you do this for me? When you gather with your families to pray and when your parents read the Bible to you, listen just as attentively to them as you're listening to me now, okay? Will you go and do that at home for me? All right, thank you guys. You guys can go back to your seats now. We love you. Merry Christmas. All right, let's give the kids a hand. I think the uh, reading of the Christmas story to the kids, it may be uh, one of my favorite uh, things that I ever get to do uh, throughout the year. And uh, so kids, thank you so much for blessing me and blessing us and blessing the Lord because uh, you're, uh, you are precious to him. And uh, parents, we're glad you brought your children to the house of the Lord. And uh, do take the time uh, during this Christmas season to spend some time just reading scripture together, talking it through and, uh, and help them to understand the concepts and the words, explain it to them so that they can bring that good news and that joy into their hearts as well. Well, on this joyous morning, I want to share just some devotional thoughts. I'm going to divide those devotional thoughts kind of into two different parts or two different sections. And in part one of the message, I'm going to direct our hearts to the glorious mystery of the incarnation, to the foundational truths of the gospel, and to the Lord Jesus himself. And then in part two, I'm going to reflect on two practical lessons we can learn from the examples of Joseph and Mary. So let's look now in the first part or the first section of the message at two great truths about Jesus. And these two great truths demand a response from us. You know, there are certain truths that you just kind of hear. It's just information and it doesn't really require anything of you. You know, if, if I came up here and I stated a math fact, you know, the engineers would probably immediately correlate that to something they're working on, some high-tech project. But for all the rest of us, it would just be, okay, well, that's an interesting math fact, and, but it wouldn't require any response or make any change in us. But then there are other truths which require a response. Say, for example, that they're the truth that you became aware of a truth that, uh, you know, your house was on fire right now. You would, that would require a response from you. You would need to call the fire department. You would need to uh, make sure maybe that, uh, that the fire department knew about your pets, for example. It would require a response from you. There are truths that cannot be left without a response. And the truths that we're celebrating at Christmas are truths that absolutely require and do produce a response from everyone who hears them. You can respond with ambivalence. You can respond with rejection. You can respond with unbelief. You can respond with rebellion. But you will respond to this news. These truths, you will respond. And you will respond either with faith or unbelief. You will respond either with obedience or disobedience. You will respond either with worship or disdain. You will respond. What are those two great truths about Jesus that demand a response from us? 
Well, those truths, simply put, are that Jesus is fully God and that Jesus is fully man. These are the two great truths that's at the heart of what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. In John chapter one, the gospel begins with a description of who Jesus is. John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. He is fully God. He is the creator. Nothing that exists came into being without him. It was all through him. Then John 1.14 says something amazing. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. The creator entered his creation. The potter became clay. God became a man. The son of God and the son of man, these are the titles of Jesus Christ. The son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the creator of all things left the glory of heaven to dwell among us, to experience the sorrows and the sufferings of this world, to experience how hard it is to get from your house to church. Well, if that was hard this morning, imagine Jesus on foot in those rocky and hilly paths as he traveled to share the good news. He came to dwell among us. And he lived the perfect life that we have not lived and cannot live. Then he took our sins upon himself and died in our place. The same feet that experienced the blisters and cuts of walking the rocky paths of Israel then were pierced by nails as he died in our place. And then this one who is God and this one who is man rose from the dead broke the power of sin and death so that we can have eternal life. That's the heart of Christmas, the heart of the gospel. Without the incarnation of Jesus Christ, salvation would be impossible for anyone. 
Why? Because only a man could pay the sins of mankind. No one else. It is mankind who sinned, therefore it was a man who had to bear the price. But only God could make the infinite sacrifice required to pay for the sins of the whole world. You know, Jesus said that uh, there's no greater love than this, that someone lays down his life for a friend. Uh, one man can die for another man. Someone can give up their life to save another. But it takes divine life to take the place for everyone. It takes an infinite sacrifice. So without the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus, there could be no salvation. Without his humanity, he could not take our place and bear our sins. Without his deity, he could not provide the perfect righteousness that justice requires. Only he who is the God-man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Word become flesh, only he could save us. And that's why he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you've come here this morning and you think, well, you know, it's nice to hear kind of the traditional songs and experience some of these tradition, Christian traditions, but, you know, there, you're, you're thinking to yourself, there's many roads to God. How, look how many religions there are in the world. Look how many private religions there are in the world. Just kind of the spirituality that people claim as they kind of amalgamate ideas from here and there. Aren't there many roads to God? Well, not according to Jesus. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For broad is the road that leads to destruction and many go down it. Narrow is the road that leads to life and only if you find it. And he said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father except through me. Well, why? Because only he who is God and he who is man can save sinners like you and me. That's why Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is in Christ alone. I want you to think about the gulf between God and man. The incredible chasm between the creator and the creation. God, the creator, is infinite and we, the creation, are finite. That's an impassable chasm. Cannot be passed by any philosophy, any religion, any human effort. Nothing can change that ontological reality that God is infinite and we are finite and so how can that gulf be bridged? He is immortal and we are mortal. Who can defeat the power of death? Not the strongest not the richest, no one. He is holy, and we are not. We are sinful. So you have an ontological chasm. You 
have a existence chasm and you have a moral chasm between you and God. How can that chasm be bridged? How can sinful mortal men have eternal life and fellowship with the infinite immortal holy creator? It is only because Jesus bridged that gap. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and died in our place and then broke the power of death. He bridged the moral divide. He bridged the ontological divide. He bridged the divide of life and death, conquered death. That's my only hope. That's your only hope. So the question is, have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Have you repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Trusting in him and him alone for your salvation. Do you believe in his incarnation, in his perfect life, in his death for sins, in his resurrection, in his ascension to heaven, and in his soon return? This is the good news that the angels announced and I hope that you will believe it. Those facts require a response. What will yours be? This is the question that you will answer not before us but before Almighty God. Well, in part one, we were reminded that the heart of Christmas is the glorious fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That demands a response of repentant faith and lifelong worship from us. Now I want to transition to part two where I want to look at two practical lessons that we can learn from the examples of Joseph and Mary. Joseph's example is going to teach us that a righteous person is not afraid to identify with Christ. Joseph's example is going to teach us that a righteous person is not afraid to identify with Christ. And then Mary's example, secondly, is going to teach us that those who receive Christ must also serve Christ. To receive Christ is to serve Christ. And those two things cannot be torn asunder. When you leave here tonight, I want you to go with a renewed understanding of what it means to identify with Christ and a renewed commitment to serving Christ. That's my goal for the remainder of the message is that you will leave here this morning with a renewed understanding of what it means to identify with Jesus Christ and that you will leave with a renewed commitment to serving him. So let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter one and learning from Joseph's example that a righteous person is not afraid to identify with Christ. Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18. We're going to see through Joseph's example that a righteous person is not afraid to identify themselves and their lives and their core identity with Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, 
planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. A righteous person is not afraid to identify with Christ. Verse 19 says that Joseph was a righteous man. So when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he wanted to protect her from being publicly disgraced. But then the angel of the Lord tells Joseph, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall name him. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This, by the way, was amazing news. Because as Matthew points out in verse 23, it meant that the prophecy made by Isaiah 700 years earlier had been fulfilled. Verse 23, quoting Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Verse 24 says that Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary again as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. A righteous person is not afraid to identify with Christ. At first, Joseph wanted to save Mary from public disgrace, just sent her away quietly. But when he obeyed the angel and married her, he exposed himself to public disgrace. See, at the beginning, he was intending to protect her from public disgrace, but after he learned from the angel what was happening, he decided to expose himself to public disgrace by taking Mary as an unwed mother and marrying her. In the eyes of society, when he married Mary, he became the father of an illegitimate child. And thus he became a sharer in all the shame and scorn that that entailed. When Joseph took Mary as his wife, he became the adoptive earthly father of Jesus and permanently identified himself with him. He became the adoptive father of Jesus. That meant his good reputation was not only on the line, but was sacrificed. His social respect was lost, and he became subject to all kinds of barriers and problems. But it gets even more complicated for Joseph. 
Notice the angel greets him, Joseph, son of David. This is significant because the Davidic covenant, God, in the Davidic covenant, God had promised that it would be a descendant of David who would rule and reign forever from Jerusalem on David's throne. This is the king of all kings who's gonna come. But being the adoptive father of the king of all kings exposes you to the wrath of the kings under kings. The evil, wicked men who crave power and are unwilling to give it up. Since Joseph was a son of David, his adoptive son had a legal claim to the throne and that made him a threat to King Herod. And so as scripture records in that great story of the wise men, the magi, Herod tried to end that threat to his reign and his throne by sending soldiers to kill all the infants in the region. And Joseph was, having been warned in a dream, was forced to take his family in the middle of the night and flee as refugees to Egypt. Joseph made a decision to identify himself with Christ. And that decision immediately cost him everything. He had to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he begins his ministry, comes to each of the apostles and says, follow me, and it says, immediately they left everything behind to follow Jesus. They weren't the first to do that. Joseph and Mary were. Joseph's decision to identify himself with Christ exposed him to mortal physical danger the loss of everything he had and separation from everyone he knew and loved. He had to lay it all on the line simply to be identified with Jesus. So there is a real sense in which Joseph and Mary were the first disciples leaving everything behind in order to serve the Lord Jesus. From the moment he decided to believe and obey the message of God delivered to him through the angel, Joseph closely identified himself with Jesus. In fact, if you think about it, it's the only thing we know about him. From our vantage point 2,000 years later, it may not seem like such a hard thing to do to be in Joseph's place. I mean, to us, Joseph's decision to identify himself with Christ means he gets to be one of the dignified and serene figures in our beautiful nativity scenes. That's a great honor. You know, he gets to stand right next to Mary and just a few feet away from the donkey, you know. To us, it means that Joseph gets the honor of being a leading role in a children's Christmas pageant, but albeit one with few lines, he you know, mostly just leads Mary in. 2,000 years ago, though, it meant a lot more. It meant losing everything. Running for your life in the middle of the night. You want to know what it was like? Sometime, you know, if you have a few weeks, go to Israel and travel by foot or animal from Israel to Egypt. Or just take a bus and watch as the desert goes by. You'll see what it costs them. By the way, this is why the first words the angel says to him are, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. 
the number one barrier that people have to identifying themselves with Christ is fear. What will happen if I merge my life with his? If I identify with Christ, what will that mean for me? I've sat across from people for whom it meant absolute and forever rejection by every single member of their family. Disowned for becoming a Christian. I sat down with a young lady in Central Asia who had escaped within an inch of her life uh, attempted murder by her own brother because of her profession and faith and now lived, actually lived in a church building and served the Lord there secretly living in a church building to protect her from her own family Joseph son of David do not be afraid that's the lesson for us right don't be afraid to identify yourself with him you know you want him to identify himself with you don't you well that union with Christ is a two way street Jesus said he who will not acknowledge me before men I won't acknowledge before my father who is in heaven if you want him to identify himself as your savior, you need to identify him as Lord. So like Joseph, we must not be afraid of being mocked and scorned because we publicly identify ourselves with Jesus. Like Joseph, we must not be afraid of losing our social status, of losing our jobs, losing our reputations, losing our homes, or even losing our lives because we publicly identify ourselves with him. The writer of the Hebrews says to those who, who knew what identifying with Jesus could cost them. It could cost them death. It could cost them being burned as a torch in Nero's gardens. It could be sent to the lions in the Colosseums. It could be just being beaten to death by angry mobs. They knew the cost. And the writer of the Hebrews says, let us go to him outside the camp and bear his reproach. Will you do that? That's what Joseph decided to do. Don't be afraid, the angel tells Joseph, and that's what he says to us. What does this mean? Well, if you're a student, your classmates and your teachers should know to whom you belong. They should know you're a Christian. If you're in the workforce, your coworkers should know that you're a Christian. In your neighborhood, in your extended family, you should be known first and foremost as a Christian. This is the primary aspect of your identity is that you belong to Christ. He has first place in everything. You are a Christian. You are a Christ person. One of the first things other people should find out about us is that we belong to Christ. And it should definitely be the most important thing that they ever find out about us and the one thing they can never forget or doubt about us. This needs to be core to who we are. As I mentioned, we know almost nothing about Joseph except for his identity as the adoptive earthly father of Jesus. So have you like Joseph, so closely identified yourself with Jesus that it is the thing that people know about you. A righteous person is not afraid to identify with Christ. Second lesson. 
It's found in Luke 2, and this is a lesson from Mary. Mary's example is going to teach us that those who receive Christ must serve Christ. In fact, receiving Christ and serving Christ are synonyms. To receive Christ is to serve Christ. To serve Christ is to receive Christ. Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response in verse 38 is an incredible example of faith and obedience. In fact, it's a great definition of faith. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. I'm fully submitting myself to the will of God, she says. Mary willingly received Christ into her life into her heart as we read about her pondering and cherishing these things in her heart. She received Christ into her life, into her heart, and into her womb. The moment she received Christ, she began to serve him, didn't she? Mothers know exactly what I mean. As the baby grew in her womb, her body was nurturing his. And then when the time came for her to give birth, she labored to deliver him. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 says, While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. One sentence which every mother knows represents hours of pain and incredible labor. We call it labor for a reason. She gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. For nine months, Mary had sheltered the baby Jesus in her womb and her body had nurtured him as he grew. Then she labored in great pain to give birth to him and then she 
wraps him in cloths. She cleans the manger the best she can. She, I'm sure, laid hay or something soft down to make a bed for him. She's making a place for him. She's caring for him. In the days, the months, and years that followed, she did all of the selfless, sacrificial things that a mother does for a child. She was on 24-7, 365 duty, wasn't she? You know, men go to work and work hard, but when work is over, work is over. Mother's work is never done. There's no vacation from mothering, even when mothers get a few days away to be alone or visit loved ones or spend time with their husband. Their hearts are and their minds are never far from their children. There's a connection there that's incredible. It's amazing to all who observe it. That was true for Mary as well. She did all the selfless, sacrificial things a mother does for a child. She nursed him. She changed him. She rocked him to sleep. She taught him to talk. Taught him how to dress himself. From the moment she received him into her life, into her heart, and into her womb, she began to serve him. Even from the moment of that divine conception, that virgin conception by the Holy Spirit, her body began to serve the Lord. And that continued throughout her life. So from the moment that Mary received Jesus, she began to serve Jesus, and that is how it should be with us as well. Once we receive Christ by faith, we should begin to serve him. Our life devoted to him like Mary, his mother's life, was devoted to him. The New Testament says something interesting. It says that we, the church, are now the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet. So just as Christ relied upon the hands of Mary to wrap him in swaddling clothes and lay him in the manger on that first Christmas, on this Christmas, he relies upon us to be his hands, his feet, and his voice in this world. He relies on us to wrap our arms around the suffering souls of this fallen world the way Mary wrapped her arms around him in that dirty stable. The mystery of the incarnation is that the one who created and who sustains all things by his omnipotent power, as the book of Colossians describes, the one who created everything, sustains all things, is all-powerful, chose to rely on the trembling post-delivery arms of a young Israeli virgin to wrap him in scraps of cloth and to convert a dirty feeding trough into a makeshift baby crib. This is the mystery of the gospel. Since Jesus is fully God, Mary's very existence depended upon him. But since he is fully man, his needs as a human infant depended on her. Similarly, the Lord's sovereign decision to make the church his body between his ascension and his return, 
for that period of time in which God, in his sovereign will, has chosen to make us his hands and feet, to make us his body, of which he is the head, the church, by his sovereign decision, we too are both fully dependent upon him and called to serve him. We are fully dependent upon him, no ability even to exist apart from him, and yet we are called to serve him. So like Mary, we first receive the Lord Jesus into our lives by faith, and then we devote our lives to serving him. And like Joseph, we must not be afraid to identify with Jesus no matter what the social cost or even physical danger that may bring. So here's kind of the conclusion. This Christmas, in the midst of the gifts for the kids, the gatherings of family and friends, in the midst of the carols and the lights, and as I am fully aware as a pastor, the grief of those who are spending the first Christmas without a loved one. And we pray for you, care for you. But in the midst of all of that, all that Christmas is on the family level, the personal level, even the societal level, may we never lose sight of the mystery and the wonder of the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth let's never lose the wonder of the fact that at christmas time we celebrate the one who is fully god and fully man the word became flesh the potter became clay the creator entered his creation to save us And may we never lose sight of the fact that just like Joseph and Mary, we too are called to identify with Christ no matter the cost and to serve him faithfully for the rest of our lives. Identify with him and serve him. Merry Christmas to you all. May the wonder and joy of our incarnate Lord be with you. Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise on this Christmas day. Lord, you are the Son of God and Son of Man, the Word who became flesh, dwelt among us, and we, through the testimony of the apostles on the pages of inspired Scripture, we too have beheld your glory. And we respond to these truths with the only right response, repentance from sin and faith in you. Lord, may we, like Mary, receive you and then serve you. May we, like Joseph, not be afraid to fully and forever identify ourselves with you. To you be glory and honor, our Savior and our coming King. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.